in John chapter 1, we'll be reading the first 18 verses. The word of the Lord says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have given your only begotten Son to take our nature upon himself, to be born of a virgin. Grant that we who have been born again and made your children by adoption and by grace, may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with you and that same Spirit be all glory and honor, now and forever. Amen. I love Christmas carols. I love the book, A Christmas Carol. But of those carols we sing, I, uh, I personally do like those uh, performed by the Rat Pack. I'll make that confession to you. Um, and one of the ones that, that I think of often when I think of the Rat Pack, I think of the, the carols that they sing, I, I think of, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, it's the ha happiest season of all. And I have an affinity for that song, and I, I think part of it is because that sort of mindset <coughs> resonates with me. When Christmas is drawing near, when the church starts hanging greens and putting out purple and a little bit of pink, as we prepare for that season of Advent that comes before Christmas Day, I think this has got to be the most wonderful time of the year. 
it makes me happy. Yes, it makes me stressed. Yes, it makes me short-tempered. Yes, it makes me busy and all those things that it does for you as well. But it's a season that fills my heart with joy and wonder, as I'm sure it fills yours as well. But one of the things that is associated with this season, unfortunately, and it's associated with so many of those carols that we sing and so many of those songs performed by, whether it be the Rat Pack or any other band or group or uh, vocalist that you appreciate the music of, is that we often find ourselves getting caught up in the cliches of the season. You've heard them. You've said them. I've said them. We tend to take big things and make them into small things. We don't like our minds being stretched. We don't like getting you know, caught up in complicated terms and complicated ideas. And so we try to boil things down into cliches. And there's no problem with cliches, just so long as we recognize that those summaries are not the whole thing. You know, it's kind of like the prayers that we teach our children. You know, the disciples told Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples how to pray. Teach us to pray. And so we teach our, our children to pray. We typically start with like a blessing. You know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. That's a beautiful prayer. Packs a pretty powerful punch. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then we kind of get weird and sometimes sinister and dark. We, sometimes we, re, we reword the, uh, the next few phrases so as to not creep our kids out before we shut the, the, the door in a dark room. But those, those small little elemental things are steps that we need as children whether we are children in the flesh or children in Christ, we need those small little steps. We need those cliches, so to speak. But those small little cliches, those little baby steps, are designed to prepare us to take bigger steps. You know, we learn our ABCs. We copy mom and dad. We sing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Which happens also to be the, uh, the tune of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, which was actually written by Mozart. The things you learn at church. <laughs> I'll expect you all to be back next week. You know, we, we learn those little things. We take those little baby steps so that we can do other things. We learn our ABCs so that we can learn to read and write. We learn that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And before that, we learn that 1 plus 1 equals 2. So that one day we'll learn how to do higher math, learn to multiply, divide, deal with fractions. Despite our teacher constantly warning us, you're going to hate fractions. They're terrible. They're horrible. They're difficult. Some of us enjoy fractions. They're kind of fun. <laughs> and you get to think about pie and how many slices you can do in that pie and you know, how many slices half of the pie would be. But if you could keep it as just one half and eat the whole half. I haven't eaten a whole pie yet. So we learn these, these small little cliches, if you will. We take these small little baby steps so that we can take larger steps, so that we can climb mountains, so that we can go on walks, 
so that we can run races. We learn these little cliches so that we can tuck them into our memory and expound upon them later in life. What is it that we're doing when we say a blessing over a meal? Why is it that sometimes at Thanksgiving and Christmas we ask, would you please say grace? You know, we kind of formalize it. What is it that we're praying when we lay our head down on our pillow? Why is it that we're entrusting our night's rest to God? We ought to think those thoughts as we grow up in Christ. We ought to think those thoughts as we grow up as people. You know, one of the small little cliches that we associate with Christmas is we think of Christmas as kind of a, a birthday celebration. We sing happy birthday to Jesus. You know, we think of it in that little small way, and there's nothing wrong with that, just so long as we realize that in saying this is the birth of Christ, we're saying what the Apostle John said. This is more than just some special birthday where we break out some balloons and maybe eat a slice of cake. This is the day that we celebrate that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That the eternal Son of God, John says, the one who formed everything, the land, the sea, the clouds and the sky, the sky itself, everything that was made was made through him and by him. And not a single thing that was made was made apart from him. That Word of the Father was made flesh and dwelt among us. That ought to blow our minds. That ought to shake us to our core. The Word was made flesh. Not He took on flesh and kind of came and did that gig for a bit and then escaped off as though this is some covert operation where God swoops in, sets up kind of a society of people who can think together and then swoops back off, having done his gig. The Word was made flesh. Another cliche is we think of Christmas as kind of a, uh, a time where heaven came down. You know, we talk of a holy visit, that God visited man, that God stooped, that he set aside his splendor and he came down. That's okay just so long as we recognize that in God doing that, he actually wed himself to matter. The word was made flesh. He didn't come like flesh, he became flesh. God who created all things becomes a part of creation. If that doesn't stretch your mind, if that doesn't hurt just a bit upstairs... I don't think you caught that. God, who created all things, became a part of his creation. He took on our flesh. He took on that. This means that in our manger scenes, typically, you know, you will have a stable or maybe a little cave. It would be appropriate if you've got a manger that Jesus has been laid in, it would be appropriate that that manger say something like home sweet home. 
Because God made this world his home. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt among us is the word to, uh, tabernacle. God set up camp here. The word became flesh and tabernacle among us. You remember in the Old Testament when um, Israel was taken out of Egypt, they approached Mount Sinai, they received the law of God, they entered into covenant with God, He has redeemed them, He has rescued them, He has ransomed them, and He says, look, would you like to be in a relationship with me? Very special relationship. Sure, I think we would like to. You've done an awful lot for us. God gave them instructions. A lot of very detailed instructions. But some of those instructions were related to the tabernacle. Which it was a glorified tent. A large, spacious, gorgeous tent. But it was a tent nonetheless. Essentially, God was telling Israel, you're living in tents. I'll live in a tent too. You're wandering, <coughs> trying to find home. I'll wander with you. I'll be your guide. It was not until Israel was established in the promised land and had built houses or, in many cases, had inherited houses that they hadn't built, that God says, I think I'd like a house now. <coughs> You remember even David, King David, said, Lord, I'd like to build you a house. Look, I'm living in the lap of luxury. I've got it made. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. How about I build you a house? And Yahweh told David, no, I don't want you to build me a house, a house just yet. I'm going to build you a house. Promising family, and a name, a legacy. God always seems content to make himself at home with us. You're living in a tent? I'll live in a tent. You've built houses? One of these days I'll build a house. And we'll be together. Christmas is about God's desire to be with us. It's about His desire to be with you. His desire to be with me. He loves us that much. It is a season of love. But it's a season, not of sappy and sentimental love. It's not a season of just feelings. It's not a, a feeling of butterflies in our bellies. It's a season in which we see the tangible, real, touchable love of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. 
the glory of a love that would stoop so much. The glory of a love that would come down not just to pay us a visit, but to redeem us. To make a home for us. To be with us. And so, the eternal word, the eternal Son of the Father, the only begotten, the one by whom all the worlds were made, makes himself vulnerable. He gets hungry. He cries. He hurts. He gets tired. He makes himself dependent. When he's hungry, he's got to eat. And when he eats, he nurses. When he learns his alphabet, he has to learn. When he learns to add, he has to learn. We may think this is demeaning, demoralizing. How dare we speak of God this way? He's the one that created all things. How dare we speak of him as, as hurting and as needing? We would just cast our eyes a few months out and remember Good Friday is coming. We see on the cross one who hurt, one who bled, and one who died. Christmas is no more demeaning than the crucifixion. We tell ourselves probably the most common cliche of the season that he is the reason for the season. You knew that one was coming. He is the reason for the season. And that's perfectly well and good. Indeed, he is the reason for the season. But that ought to be built upon in our minds so that we realize he's not just the reason for the season. He's the reason for the whole year. He is the reason for our very existence. He is the reason for our lives. He is the one who has brought us to where we are. And he is the one who leads us on into the future he's prepared for us if we would follow him. He is the reason for the whole thing. He's not a cog in the wheel. He's not the biggest cog in the wheel. He's not the middle of the wheel. He's the whole wheel. Christmas is not just a season in the life of the church where we focus on Jesus. Technically, Christmas hasn't started yet. It starts Thursday. Those 12 days of Christmas come then. You've still got time to make some, you know, find some turtle doves and that sort of thing. You've still got time to make some figgy pudding for those little brats who demand it. But Advent, this season we're in now, where we're preparing for Christmas Day, where we're putting our eyes toward the skies, watching for our Redeemer. It prepares us for a year. Advent, the Nativity, the Epiphany, you know, the Magi who come from the East. Lent, Holy Week, Good Friday, the Resurrection. 
the ascension. Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes down to live within our hearts by faith. Pentecost was about Jesus. <coughs> it's just, it's not some tack on, it's not some weird, special, technical holiday. It's about the presence of Jesus coming to live within us. And so he's not just the reason for the season. He is the reason for our whole being. He is the reason for the year. Ebenezer Scrooge understood that. He understood that to have a change of heart is to have a change of life. He declared upon seeing his grave to that third spirit who had come to visit him in the night. He said, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. I will honor Christmas in my heart and not then take down the greens and put everything away and say, it's over. But I will try to keep it all the year. Christmas. <coughs> the Word made flesh dwelling among us is about His dwelling among us. And that doesn't go away after Thursday. That doesn't go away Thursday evening when the games are on. Watch your games. That's fine. But know that He's not just the reason for the season. He is the reason for the year. He is the reason for our lives. And we ought to honor him with our lives. The love that we show others at Christmas, and I've been encouraging you guys for weeks, show your neighbor you love them. Do something special. Do so We went and took cookies to the neighbors this, this uh, week, and I'm telling you, all but one were like flummoxed and just shocked that somebody's knocking on their door and it's not October 31st. Like, what in the world? Honey, did you pay the water bill? It's dark outside and there's somebody knocking on the door. I think they've resorted to drastic measures. We ought to live with this kind of love and joy and hope and peace, not just for a collection of Sundays getting ready for Christmas, but we ought to live with this type of hope and love and joy and peace year-round. Because the cliches of this time of year are helpful. But those cliches ought to be built upon. The Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. When I grew up, put away childish things. Sometimes it's helpful to be reminded of those small elementary things. Every once in a while we've got to kind of refresh in the brain. Okay, three times seven is twenty. Okay, okay. It may not help me every day in life, but there are times where it might help me. 
there are times where we ought to go back and pray those prayers that we were taught as a child. Be reminded, what am I praying? What is it that I'm depending upon God for? We ought to look at a manger scene. <coughs> Something simple. We ought to hang up purple and evergreen, light candles, remind ourselves in those elementary ways of what this time is about. <coughs> This is the time of year where we say the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. He wants to dwell among us beyond this week. Others are afforded an opportunity in our lives to behold a small, small sampling of the glory of God if His love can get in us. That's what Christmas is about. God taking up residence with His people. Making this place His home. Making a home for us with Him. Let's pray. Father, we pause a few moments. And we pray that you would awaken us. We pray that you would awaken our lives, that you would awaken our hearts. Not just to the fact that this is a special time of year. Not just to the idea that this is the most wonderful time of the year or the happiest time of the year. But to the reality that in this time of year we celebrate our Lord's birth. We celebrate something so mysterious, so wildly wonderful. It's so shocking that we ought to stop and pause. That we ought to scratch our heads. We ought to find ourselves without words that can express what we feel, what we think, the questions we have. Lord, help us not to rush through these days Help us not to put away all of the ornaments and put away all the greenery and put away all the lights and put away all the joy and all the love and all the promises of peace and hope. Lord, help us to carry on the meaning and the significance of this season on into our year and on into our lives. We pray all of this in your Son's name. Amen.